1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: On this episode, the U.S. Department of Justice investigation into Crossfire Hurricane explained.
2: When you look at the Horowitz report, you realize that everybody is so clearly imbued with the notion that we're all going to go get Trump. They almost didn't need to give any direction. It really is a lot like a mafia conspiracy. These guys know what they're supposed to do. They're not there creating documents showing their guilt. So that's the problem.
0: If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres, Pursuing the truth wherever it leads Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
0: Welcome to your Monday. U.S. Attorney John Durham, appointed by Attorney General Bill Barr to review U.S. officials' handling of the investigation into the Trump campaign's ties to Russia, landed a guilty plea recently for the only charge stemming from his probe so far. Former FBI Attorney Kevin Kleinsmith, part of the team that prepared applications to surveil Trump campaign aide Carter Page, pleaded guilty to one count of making a false statement. Specifically, Kleinsmith admitted altering the content of an email from another official used in internal decision-making. Kleinsmith's misconduct was initially revealed by Inspector General Michael Horowitz in a report last year, and it stood out as the most egregious instance of widespread problems with how the FBI handled Page's surveillance. Here to discuss is John O'Connor. John is an experienced trial lawyer practicing law in San Francisco. He's tried cases in state and federal court throughout the country. He served as an assistant U.S. attorney in North Carolina, representing the United States in both criminal and civil cases. Among his interesting assignments was representing Mark Felt, regarding the revelation of his identity as Deep Throat. John is the author of Postgate, how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. John O'Connor, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you?
2: Richard, I'm great.
0: Kevin Klein smith former FBI attorney, has pleaded guilty to altering an email that ended up justifying an application to wiretap Carter Page. Let me ask you about the seriousness of that charge, this indictment. It's a felony, but how serious is it?
2: Well, Richard, let me give you a couple of maybe uh, mixed metaphors. One is that he is the cherry on the top of a very uh, dirty Sunday. Uh, And uh, at the same time, he's also the low-hanging fruit (laughs) for (laughs) Barr. So I've mixed my metaphors and we will say, first of all, the reason he's the low-hanging fruit is, and you don't need much more work, Barr and Durham are clearly doing more work, but is because he clearly went so far as to demonstrably change the evidence. Uh, He altered a document, no doubt about it, that's no good, that's a bad thing to do, and they've got him. Okay. Uh, Whereas other people... It appears they lied, they dissembled, they omitted, they concealed during this whole FISA process, but had um uh, arguable basis, plausible deniability. Um and so um the uh so that's the easy one to get. But what it what it but here's why it's uh I say it's the cherry on top of a very dirty Sunday. This idea of Carter Page, what he did was he changed an email specifically to change the view of the uh, or to uh, the, to change the email to reflect a view of Carter Page that was untrue. And it essentially quashed any exculpatory information about Carter Page. The whole group of these FBI agents had been doing that for the prior eight months. This guy just got forced into it by circumstances to actually make a direct lie, so to speak, a right. direct and provable lie. The it CIA
0: didn't... had said that Carter Page was a source for them. In other words, he worked with the CIA on occasion, and the email was altered by Smith to remove that. So he basically said there was no cooperation between Carter Page and the CIA. He was not a source.
2: Right. And not only that, the CIA knew and had verified that this guy was perfectly patriotic, had rebuffed Russian intelligence officers. And more than that, it it was even in in 2016 where they are prosecuting, the prosecutors are prosecuting some Russian intelligence agencies that had tried to recruit Page. And Page was listed in the indictment as male number one. And he was a cooperating witness in that case. As male number one, so and the prosecutors were relying on him to tell the truth. They thought he was telling the truth, and this is at the same time, the same time that he's a witness in favor of the government. They are claiming he's in this wide-ranging conspiracy uh, that that is illegal, and he's uh, in a treasonous conspiracy with the, with the Russian government. It it just shows you how important it was. The other thing that your listeners should know is that the entire FISA process depended upon the slender read of Carter Page. If they didn't get Carter Page as a Russian agent, they wouldn't be able to wiretap anybody. And they're wiretapping everybody. When I say wiretap, electronically surveilling and reading their emails. So, uh, and if you get to Carter Page, you get at least two jumps. That is to say, he talks to Bannon, you can then surveil Bannon, Bannon talks to Trump, you can surveil Trump. Bannon talks to Corey Lewandowski, can surveil Corey Lewandowski. So getting into Page meant you got into the entire campaign. And so you needed to get into somebody. You needed to plausibly tell the FISA court that somebody was a Russian agent. And Page was the only guy that had been to Russia, had any talks with anybody at any time. And they completely... Uh, hyped it up beyond recognition as to what had really happened. Uh, uh, you know, a guy was just a guy that was a Wheeler dealer trying to get an energy deal in Russia hadn't, you know, so uh, this whole thing is very, very dirty. Now, here's what I would say, as the FISA, investi- as the FISA, I, I'll call it an investigation goes on, the original FISA application is renewed three times each time they renew, they have to make a new pledge to the court that they have a verified everything. Now, what happens is they get more and more undeniable knowledge. At the beginning of the process, they all had knowledge, but they all tried to see no evil, hear no evil. But as the process went on, it got worse and worse, and the deniability became harder to swallow. So what I say is as this process goes on, people like Andrew McCabe are more provably guilty with each omission on each succeeding FICE application. So I think you, uh, Comey is probably too high, Richard. Uh, He is denying knowledge of everything. He's way high up on the totem pole. And the only way you can get him is through McCabe, you know, an oral briefing. So that's not going to happen. Right. And um, so... Uh, you, But you can get McKay because he's in touch with other people and he has to uh, uh, sort of bless the FISA application. He directly is involved with the people putting it together. He argues very vociferously from the very beginning that there should be no indication in the FISA application that Steele was hired by a, a political campaign. Uh, when the footnote was finally put in over... McCabe's great objection, it was very much watered down, and you read it and you couldn't tell that he was working for Hillary Clinton. But as time went on, that sort of thing got less and less deniable. Everybody knew who he was working for, Steele was. Everybody knew this was a political hijab. And they kept verifying the same uh, allegations over and over again. Then in early 2017, the FBI which had omitted any interviewing of the primary subsource. In other words, Steele did not claim to have any knowledge of this. He had a primary subsource that did not claim to have personal knowledge, and the primary subsource relies on a bunch of people who themselves may only have hearsay knowledge. But as of the time of the first FISA application, no one had bothered to even interview the primary subsource to say by the way who are your subsources are they any good do we know are they just guys uh that you know you've picked out of the phone book so to speak no one tried to check up they didn't check up because they didn't want to know the answers finally they're more or less forced by circumstances and a lot of questions being asked to interview the primary subsource now the primary subsource comes in and says <laughs> he knows it's all a lot of baloney that's in there and he said oh, come on, you can't take any of this seriously. This is just bar talk. And some of these people are embellishers, they're fabricators. Uh, You can't really rely on any of it. It's kind of bar talk. Well, they knew that as of late January, early February, and that's when Peter Stroke writes a memo that says, hey, there's nothing here. Now, as of that time, shouldn't you, first of all, go back to the FISA court and say, hey, we need, there's some errors to correct here. We we put in some false stuff in the record. At the very least, the next time they apply for a FISA warrant, they should say, oh, by the way, we've interviewed the primary subsource, and this whole thing is a lot of baloney. Hmm. No one did that. And McCabe is responsible for that, and also the lower case agent, I feel sorry for the guy, his name, Case Agent 1. So whoever Case Agent 1 is, and McCabe, I think, are on the firing line. I don't know. Now, that that, that that's one aspect of this.
0: I wanted to, to circle back to Kleinsmith Smith for a moment because in yeah. his I believe it's called an allocution to the judge, basically explaining why he's guilty because he pled guilty. He said that yes, he did alter the email, but he didn't realize it was inaccurate. He said he had received a call from a, someone in the CIA I believe he named the individual, and they said that he that Carter Page wasn't a source. This person then was located in the CIA, and they had no recollection of that conversation. So the allocution seems kind of preposterous. So then the question is, why did they allow that plea deal unless he gave up other information that we don't know about yet?
2: Well they have to allow him to plead because, uh, and the question is, is whether he's getting anything for it. You can come in and have a naked plea where you don't get any promises from the prosecutor. And if you've only charged with one count of a false statement, and it's a false statement if you simply alter a document. So that itself is a false statement. Um, And I've had those cases and he's arguing, well, I thought it was making it truer, but the fact is he altered it. So the judge would allow that plea, the prosecutors would allow the plea, and the question that we don't know is, is there a deal? Did he agree to cooperate? I would think he would cooperate because, or at least pretend to cooperate, claim he's cooperating, so that he can get various points with the judge under the scheme, the sentencing schemes and the sentencing guidelines. So cooperation is a big factor. Now the question is, will he really cooperate, number one? and Does he have knowledge of other people more or less knowing that he was doing this? Uh, And by the way, his, uh, and, and so that, that's the question. Does, can he roll over on anybody? Can he give information that would get somebody else? I can't believe that he did this of his own accord. The only problem is when looking, when you look at the Horowitz report, you realize that everybody is so clearly imbued with the notion that we're all gonna go get Trump. They almost didn't need to give any direction. It really is a lot like a mafia conspiracy. These guys know what they're supposed to do. They're not there creating documents showing their guilt. Um, so that's the problem. What can Smith bring you? I don't know. And that's why I mentioned the whole idea of McCabe and case agent one, that regardless of what Smith does and rolls over on, That at least you can probably get the people who are knowingly putting before the FISA court false information or unsupported information or or information that is not verified. Uh, One of the things I'd like to talk to, to you about, though, Richard, is we all are focusing on the FISA application, the Crossfire Hurricane investigation that starts in the middle of 2016, July 31. There's a lot of bad stuff going on before then that that late date for the start of the investigation covers up. In other words, the FBI would like to say, "Oh well, we started this on July 31st, 2016." You can't look at anything before that. There's a lot of there are a lot of things that are going on before July 31st, 2016 that the FBI knows about. And where I would go on this, the reason I'm saying this is because someone in the FBI, there are FBI guys that were working with John Brennan, and John Brennan was just grilled for eight hours. And one of the questions is, Brennan, did you know that Joseph Mifsud, the Maltese professor, was not a Russian asset? Answer, yes, we knew that. Did you know the British uh, helped, with your help, brought him in to do this George Papadopoulos thing? and to try to hook in George Papadopoulos with Putin's alleged uh, niece. That whole scenario became the, the basis for them even starting Crossfire Hurricane. And it was based on the false notion that this Maltese professor was a Russian asset. Who knew in the FBI that this was really Russian intelligence? If anyone in the FBI knew that and allowed Crossfire Hurricane to be predicated upon this, and this predication continued on in the FISA applications, uh, then that person uh, is really conspiring to uh, commit a falsity, a false, a false uh, application, and and that person is persons are prosecutable. Now, I think Peter Stroke was actively involved with John Brennan's team. They had an interagency team that appeared to have been formed December 2015 uh, when they first got this Estonian tip, and then they later on got some more Estonian tips in March. But this interagency group was formed December 2015. So what did Brennan tell these folks? What visibility did the FBI have into this uh, this information? And whoever had it uh, and allowed a false picture of it to be painted before the FISA court should be indicted.
0: More of my conversation with John O'Connor when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. It's time once again to welcome Colleen Forges, our nutritional expert and the manager at Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Colleen, welcome. Hi Richard, how are you today? I'm terrific, but a lot of people are in a bit of a panic, a lot of people are stressed with this whole coronavirus thing, but people just need to keep calm. What do we have to help people calm themselves?
2: Richard, there's a product called
1: MagSoo, mag being short for magnesium, And this is a powder which is a
0: fat acting, calming raspberry lemonade flavored powder. Magnesium is important for over 325 functions in the body. It helps to promote a restful sleep. It's good for muscle tone and function. It helps us to balance our stress response.
1: Good for blood pressure, blood sugar, digestion, hormones. It has a wide variety of things that are important for the body but especially helps with stress.
0: Terrific. To get your Mag Soothe, just go to StrangePlanet.ca and click on the full script dispensary button. Remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more ship for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider.
1: In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day. and What uh, a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. John
0: O'Connor is here and we're discussing John Durham's interview with the former head of the CIA, John Brennan. Okay, so then why would Durham, during his eight-hour Interview with Brennan at CIA headquarters. Tell Brennan that he was not the target of a criminal investigation, that he was a witness.
2: Well, because he's a witness, because uh, unfortunately the twain does not meet. You have Brennan and the CIA, and then you have the FISA process. That's solely domestic by law. uh, Brennan is not supposed to be involved in the FISA process, he's protected by this. Uh, wall between CIA being foreign intelligence versus domestic intelligence of foreign people. So the FBI has any domestic uh, counterintelligence work as to foreign assets. So the ball is sort of passed when you do a FISA application. The ball is passed from Brennan to uh, the FBI, and all Brennan can be is a witness. So that's how he's protected. that's why I told you before, Brennan's protected by that. Comey's protected by being on the seventh floor and talking to no one other than McCabe and doing so mainly orally. Uh, So, but let's say Brennan, let me give you a, a, for instance, let's say Brennan says, Oh yes, I knew that one of the first things Brennan did is he went to Rome to go to a secure facility to listen to Mifsud's deposition. He and Dermot, when they came back, they opened a criminal investigation. So, Brennan could be a witness in this sense. Who was on the FBI team with you? Well, it's Peter Stroke, it's Joe Blow, it's Bill Priestap, it's this person. Did you tell them that Joseph Mifsud was planted in there uh, by using British intelligence and that he was a Western asset? Oh, yes, we told them that. And did they approve of the plan to go in and uh, try to do a confidential human source on George Papadopoulos. Yes. Yes. I told them that they had, we had to have their sign off. All right. Did they know then that when this whole counterintelligence thing was started with crossfire hurricane, did they know that the whole basis for it started with this phony professor? Well, you know, I I think he could probably say yes, or I don't know, but (laughs) they knew about Misfood. So, The other thing is Brennan may also be a witness as to this Alexander Downer, who is the guy who was tasked by some intelligence agency with getting from Papadopoulos what Mifsud had told him. So you could now have a legit guy come in and say, oh, Papadopoulos told me what Russian Mifsud had told me. Now you can have that guy who is designated the friendly foreign government that comes in and says, oh, my gosh, Mrs. Cleaver there's something bad here, Uh, you know, there's Russian emails that Papagopoulos told us me about, horrors, and I saw that there was a WikiLeaks dump the day before, and when I saw that, I thought, oh, I better go tell somebody. So this was all pre-planned by the intelligence people, British intelligence, and Brennan were working together. So all that he should know about, but at that point, (laughs) luckily for him, his involvement stops. Now when Crossfire Hurricane starts, it's solely FBI, solely domestic stuff. And Brennan is a witness. He's also a guy, by the way, that is trying to uh, stir up bad publicity. So it's not like he's an, he's an angel. He's not. He's out there talking to Harry Reid. He's probably giving him a different briefing than he's giving the Republicans. So he's a bad guy. But it's just very hard to get him on anything other than just get him on anything. Right, uh, he's he's a dirty guy, but not necessarily a provable criminal guy. So that's why I say though that there's some exposure to the FBI people from that six month time between Crossfire is opened and, and interagency group is opened in in 2015. So uh, so there are two ways to go on this, and so I see perhaps somebody like Peter Stroke uh, being indicted for knowledge of, um, misfoot. And then as the investigation goes on, uh, McCabe and case agent one who did not report, there's a, a group called OI within the justice department that fills out the FISA applications. They're straight guys. They go out and get information from the FBI and they fill out the application. Well, people were lying and concealing from the OI, and I think McCabe's one of them, and I think Case Agent 1 is one of them, and perhaps some other people too. Uh, But that's where we have it. There might be two or three or four people that they get. Uh, The problem is there's a little bit of slow walking there in terms of documents from both the CIA and from Ray at the FBI. So that's what's holding them up. COVID was probably an excuse, but here's my problem, Richard. I'm worried about the election hmm. coming up and the ethical feelings of Durham and Barr that they don't want to indict too close to an right. election.
0: That was my next question, because Barr is in a bit of a difficult situation, because we saw what happened to, so for example, with, with Comey before the election and the email situation. And so now Trump has huge expectations from Barr. He wants, obviously, heads to roll before the November election. And he's publicly, I don't know if I would use the word pressuring Barr, but he's said things like, well, if he goes the political correct route, he's not going to be a great attorney general, but he could be a great attorney general. He could go down in history as a great attorney general, meaning, you know, if he prosecutes. So how do you think this is going to roll out?
2: Unfortunately for Trump... Probably fortunately for our system of justice, Barb will be absolutely straight down the line. This is nobody's fool, he's nobody's patsy. The Democrats are trying to portray him as being Trump's henchman. He's not. This is a straight guy. He's a very, very devout Catholic. He's honest. Uh the guy uh and is a very smart guy. So all I can say is if he doesn't do it because of these time constraints, I got to say he's doing the right thing, even though it does not. It it lets the uh, Democrats off the hook. And that may happen. That may happen. And I just got to tell you that, Richard, it sort of is bothering me because I think once you get to September 8th, what are we, August 26th today? I think you get to September 8th at 60 days before the election, I think you're starting to get into a sensitive time period. Certainly October 8th, you can't do it. But even September 8th, you know, people are voting. And I just think uh, that Barr and Durham may not be able to, to issue the indictments in time. Uh, I, I, I Hopefully they've got another, if not low-hanging fruit, uh, decent hanging fruit, that even if they're not going to get everybody by the election, there will be somebody there like, for instance, on the knowledge of this, for example, uh, that they can get, uh, perhaps they can do McCabe beforehand because there's so much, so much that was not included in the subsequent FISA applications that McCabe had to know about. So maybe they feel there's a solid enough case against one guy to do something before, I'm going to say, unfortunately, I'm going to say September 8th. I don't know what they're thinking. It might be October 8th, might be the witching day. Uh, But uh, it's not going to be any later than October 8th, I'll tell you that.
0: Going back to Smith again, being low-hanging fruit, I mean, he is the really the lowest hanging fruit because he was served up on a, on a platter because the IG Horowitz mentioned him in his report that this had happened. And so he simply turned it over to the Department of Justice for investigation or prosecution. So after all this, that's the one indictment they come down with. It just seems kind of disappointing. The lowest of all hanging fruit, really.
2: Right, and it's just it's it's just uh, a laydown. It's just easy. It's a piece of cake, and uh, and 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 the poor guy. He's a young guy, and he was sort of forced into this position. And the question is, did everybody just sort of wink and nod and, and let him know what he had to do without actually saying anything? Uh, because everybody's been covering up exculpatory information on Carter Page for eight months, and this poor guy is the guy that gets left holding the bag, and I think he probably feels it's his duty to come in and do something. I can't believe he didn't tell anybody. If he told anybody he did it, they're conspiring right there to, to, to at least cover up a crime. Uh, so uh, it, it remains to be seen if, if he rolls over on somebody. I just, uh, uh, he may not. I mean, it may well yeah. be that this whole thing was a mafia type of deal, wink and a nod, uh, don't say anything, don't put anything down in writing, you don't have to. And he just went a little too far and did went, went with his email uh, without anybody telling him overtly. Uh, so I'm afraid, there, Richard, I, I sort of share if I, I sense a pessimistic cast to your, uh, to your uh, voice, uh, I, I, I share it. So
0: let's look ahead then, post election. Let's say for the well, regardless of the outcome, the investigation would would continue, I guess, unless Barr was was replaced as an attorney general right away. That 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 could happen. But let's let's assume Trump wins for a moment. After the election, yeah. could we see, for example, someone like uh, Sally Yates, who recently said, "Oh, she regrets the whole FISA court situation and, and the uh, the wiretapping of Carter Page." How far up the ladder could this go? You mentioned McCabe, not likely Comey, but could there be members of Obama's administration indicted?
2: Well, well, first of all, let me answer one question. If Barr indicts after November 8th and before January 20th, all the Democrats will yell and scream that he's just a, an irresponsible henchman and they'll end up dismissing the indictments. That's what will happen if Trump is not elected. So in spite of Barr's good work, they will not probably carry through on a lot of these indictments. But let's go, let's assume Trump wins. Um, he, he's already said, Barr's already said he's not going to get Obama or Biden. And I understand that. And I think there's probably, without going through a tortured explanation, there's probably good reasons for it. Uh, I personally think that Comey's failure to tell Trump about a FISA investigation and a FISA warrant while Trump is president and it's a an investigation that by law and by the Constitution is the president's and he's hiding it from him can you imagine hiding an investigation uh, from Franklin Roosevelt of the Russians in his administration of course not that said you know, they know that Comey is going to say, gee, I thought I was doing the right thing. I just didn't think it was right because I thought Trump might be really, really guilty. I think he committed a crime there, but I also think he can probably wiggle his way out. How high up will it go? I don't think for various reasons. I don't think it's Sally Yates. Um, it's, uh, you know, there was that Oval Office meeting on January five with the uh, memorialized by Susan Rice's January 20 memo as she was leaving the office, they all knew that Comey was hiding things from the incoming administration. Uh, but I think they're going to wiggle out of that. I think that's a crime. Mm-hmm. But like I say, I think Comey's going to justify it by this uh, aren't I an honest guy, higher loyalty, I really am uh, just uh, the Cardinal Cardinal Comey. And, uh, and it will probably be enough to get him out of an indictment. Even though he was deliberately concealing something in a matter within the Justice Department, within the executive branch, that's clearly a crime under 18 U.S.C. thousand and one A one. There's no doubt about it. But he can say, "Gee, I didn't have criminal intent here. I was thought I was doing the right thing." Um, so where is it going to go? Uh, I, I think if you get McCabe, you know maybe McCabe will do something to Comey. I don't know. Uh, but I think that's the best you can hope for is McCabe. No, nobody higher than that. It, it might go down to somebody like Stroke, and like I say, the hapless case agent one, who probably was forced into this. Uh, that's, that, those are probably the, the people that, uh, uh, and remember this, anything that Vice President Biden and President Obama did regarding national security is pretty much immune from Second guessing they can do about anything they want in that area, Hmm. Um, you know, and you can't accuse them of any activity sort of past January 20th. They knew that Comey was going to do this. But uh, on the other hand, they had no power after January 20th. And so I think Barr is going to let them go. And that's why he's already said he's going to let them go.
0: John, before I let you go, you and I have talked in depth on another episode about Postgate, how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. For those who didn't hear that episode, give people a little bit of, of a taste of your work with the the family of the late Mark Felt, who was Deep Throat, and what the book is about.
2: Well, yeah, Richard, as a result of my work with Mark Felt, I'd always known he was Deep Throat and when I finally started working for him in the early 2000s, I had more and more contact with The Post, whom, who I always had admired for their Watergate reporting. And lo and behold, they kept putting my head in the dumpster so often. I have an intriguing book here. It's just a juicy, intriguing book about how I came to this. I mean, your readers will have fun, if nothing else, besides getting enlightened on Watergate and Watergate journalism. But finally, I said, you know, there's something funny here. So I spent years of my life, getting every Washington Post article and showing how in our country's most impactful scandal, the Washington Post deliberately committed fraud. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm saying this very out front. It's clear fraud. I prove it in my book. I'm a lawyer. I know how to do this. I've prosecuted cases before in big civil cases. I know what I'm doing. This is clear fraud And once you understand that they could oust the president and win Pulitzer Prizes, Mansions, bestsellers, uh, hit movies for committing fraud, you realize (laughs) that that's what is going on with our media today. They get their awards. They get their uh, power by being uh, people who put scalps on the wall of the opposing party and by defending their own partisan uh, deal. And what you and I should probably talk about that is apropos of of Postgate is, for instance, what the media did regarding Biden's corruption in Ukraine. That's for another day, but I'd love to talk to you about that because that's precisely the kind of thing that the media does. They're either an attack dog on the other side, in that case, Trump, or they're a lapdog for, for their own side, which is Biden. And so during the Ukraine thing, the media says, well, gee, Biden, there's no evidence of any Biden corruption. Uh, So that's what PostGate is about. It's about what has happened to our society in terms of journalism, of how journalists became political powers and what they did. And Watergate and Watergate journalism is the most scrutinized scandal, most scrutinized journalism. And yet, why is it that it has taken 48 years uh, for some lawyer in San Francisco to prove this. It, it's right there. It's, it's a bunch of low hanging fruit. It takes, it takes probably a lot of work to get to that low hanging fruit. But from my point of view as a lawyer, it's right there. It's right there in black and white once you go through enough documents. So it's, it's an intriguing tale and I'd love your viewers to get a copy of it. You know, if they don't like it, I'll buy it back from them. But I think it's a good idea. For them to read it i don't care about making money i want people to know about this and to talk with their friends about it because the only way we're going to get back our democracy if we is if we have a media that tells the truth and thank god for shows like yours where you know issues are explored in depth uh and so forth i just wish you were on a a national television channel
0: Richard. One day, one day. Well, and people can go to the episode notes for this uh, podcast and click on the book, Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy
2: Journalism. Richard, it's been a great to talk with you as always, and uh, thank you.
0: Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in just a few moments to give you some details on an upcoming episode. One tablespoon of ESS 60 from C60 EVO helps keep me pain-free, energized, and mentally focused. And I'm sleeping so much better since I started taking ESS 60 back in November. ESS 60 is the consumable form of C60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize-winning chemists in the 1990s. ESS 60 is a mega antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C. Check out the Paris study, a peer-reviewed scientific study online, where ESS-60, suspended in olive oil, was fed to rats. The rats fed ESS-60 lived almost twice their normal lifespan. I can't sit here and tell you I'm going to live to be 112, but I'm 56 and I haven't felt this youthful, energized, and pain-free since I was in my 20s. ESS 60 from C60 Evo. If you want to discover the benefits of this amazing miracle molecule for yourself, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link for C60Evo.com. And don't forget to use the code RS1SPEC when ordering and you'll receive an additional 5% off. ESS 60, the miracle molecule from C60 Evo. It's changed my life discover what it can do for you. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to cure, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, the return of broadcaster Bishop Larry Gators on the global vaccine industrial complex.
2: This is a arms race, not an arms race through weapons of mass and chemical destruction. It is a arms race that is being perpetuated by the global elite family. And I'm talking about not just the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers, but also it is being backed by the global pharmaceutical industrial complex.
0: Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.